Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. If you've got a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 21. Um, if you don't know me, my name is James. I'm the pastor here at Renaissance and excited to get into God's Word this morning. Um, this is not a shock, but we have been conditioned to get things instantly, right? Rather than like having to wait a week for the next episode of our favorite show, we just click play next, right? And if you've ever been, like, the, the embarrassing moment when your TV says, are you still watching? Anybody know, like, it's like, uh, yes, I am. Continue. I'm still watching. Leave me alone. Don't judge me, Netflix, right? Um, so, the, so, you know, we can just, we don't have to wait. We just play next, okay? Um, if an Uber Eats order takes more than about 20 minutes, we're like, what is wrong? Did the guy fall off of his bike? What happened? It's not going to be warm. It's not going to be good. And we get really impatient, right? We can get stuff through Amazon, the Next day, and if not, we think that's way too long. Now, this like post-COVID supply chain slowdown stuff is messing with us, right? Because it takes longer to get things. We're like, what is happening? I want things instantly, right? That's that's just how we like to be, right? We get impatient, we want things in our timing. And so this morning, our passage here in Genesis is gonna highlight God's perfect timing. Right? We get tired of waiting, we get tempted to give up. As we've seen as we've gone through this series, it's easy for us when we're waiting to say, you know what, I don't know what's going to happen, so I'm going to make a decision based out of fear, because I don't know what's going to happen, rather than a decision based out of faith, saying, I trust that God knows that he is up to something good, right? We choose, we are tempted to choose fear over faith, and the reality is when we think about waiting on God, that's a really hard thing. It's not easy. It's not easy to say, God where are you? What are you doing? I don't see it. I don't understand what is going on. So this becomes something very practical for us because it is such a big temptation for those of us who are following Jesus to say, I want what I want now, and I don't really want to wait on God. What do I do when I'm waiting on God? What does that look like? It's hard. And what is God doing while we are waiting? Well, there's good news. God keeps his promises. And we've seen that over and over in our passage. And our main idea this morning is this. We can trust God to fulfill his promises in his timing for his glory. We can trust God to fulfill his promises in his timing for his glory. So if you've been with us on this journey, we've been going through the life of Abraham. If you've not, we've been going through the life of Abraham, right, in the book of Genesis. So um, our, our kind of tagline to this is a story of faith and fear. Next week's our last week of the series on Abraham. And so as we've looked at the life of Abraham, we have seen how God made a promise to him all the way back in Genesis 12. And God said, you're going to be the father of a great nation. God said, I'm going to provide a son. I'm going to provide an heir and at that time, it, Scripture tells us his wife Sarah says she was barren. She was not able to have children, but God said, I'm going to provide a son. And at times, Abraham has shown great faith. 
right? He obeyed God's call to go to the land that God would show him. He didn't know where God was leading him, but he obeyed and he went. He believed and he trusted in what God said. And at other times, we've seen how Abraham made decisions out of fear and human wisdom, saying, God, I don't know what you're doing, so I'm going to try to fix it and make it work on my own. He wasn't seeing a son coming, so he and his wife Sarah tried to manipulate things on their own. We saw that a few weeks ago when Sarah basically said, well, I can't have a child, but like my servant maybe can, so maybe just go with her and you'll have a child. And a child did come, but it was not the child that God had promised. They tried to manipulate a situation on their own. And yet, even in the times of fear and bad decisions, the story of Abraham showed us, shows us that God has remained faithful. God is still fulfilling his plan. And thank God that his plans don't depend on us, right? That, that would be bad news. I don't know about you. I know that for me. If God's plan depended on me, that is bad news. But the reality is, is that God is so patient and so kind and completely able to accomplish his plans. And so we come today to Genesis chapter 21, and here's the spoiler alert. God fulfills his promise. Abraham and Sarah have a son, Isaac, right? This is years and years in the waiting, and so this is like a pivotal moment in the story of Abraham. It's actually, this, it's even bigger than that. This is such an important chapter in the big picture of Scripture, right? Genesis 21 is a hinge point in the redemptive narrative, the story of how God created everything that hum humans rebelled against God and sinned against God, and God said, I'm going to send a Savior. I'm going to send someone who will rescue you out of your sin. This chapter is a big component of that because if, if Isaac never comes, if God does not fulfill this promise, then the redemption story dies right there. It fizzles out. But God is faithful to accomplish his plan because, as we'll see, this promised child, Isaac, through him comes the people of Israel, eventually all the way to Jesus, the Messiah, who rescues us out of our sins. So this is a huge point in the story of Scripture. So, Short scripture today. Let's read together Isaiah, not Isaiah, Isaac. Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. And here's what it says. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah, sorry, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Let's pray together as we prepare to dive into this. God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for our time together this morning, and we ask that you would speak. Lord, I pray that your word this morning would encourage and strengthen our hearts and deepen our trust in you. Holy Spirit, come and speak to our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so God will accomplish 
We can trust God to fulfill his promises and his timing for his glory. Let's walk through this scripture. First, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2, 1, 2, and 5, all right? You can track with me. This is really bad counting, but track with me, all right? In verses 1 and 2 and verse 5, what we see is, it says, the Lord visited Sarah, right? I don't know what that means, but God did the miraculous in order for her to conceive, right? Physically, scripture has already told us she was unable to have children, and yet God visits her and opens her womb, makes her able to conceive. And it says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. The word promise there is the word, has the word, the meaning of the word spoken. So it's as God has spoken. God has been true to his word. What he has said, he has done. God kept the promise that he made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12, Right? When God said, go to the land I'm going to show you, I will make you into a great nation, and through you all peoples of the earth will be blessed. God is fulfilling this promise. And then even more specifically, in Genesis 17 and 18, God told them, we saw this last week, God said to Abraham and Sarah, he said, next time, a year from now at this time, you're going to have a son. God is fulfilling this promise promise. God does what he says, right? We see the promise is fulfilled and Isaac is born. And if you look at the whole scope of this story, this is at least 24 years since God called Abraham to leave his home and go to the land that he would show him. That's a long time, right? 24 years. Some people in this room are not yet 24 years old, so longer than you've been alive, right? Um, that's a very long time for Abraham to wait and trust and sometimes mess up, but to see God's faithfulness. Now, verse 5 reminds us, Abraham is 100 years old. It's very old to be having children, right? You probably don't have much energy at that point. But here's what I want us to see. It, this specifies two times in this passage. It tells us in verse 2 and then again um, in verse, uh, verse 3. It tells us, this son, this is the son born to Abraham and Sarah, not Abraham and Hagar, right? It is reiterating, God has fulfilled his promise that a child would come from Abraham and Sarah. And then finally, there in verse 2, it says, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him at the time of which God has spoken. And here in a little bit in the sermon, we're going to go more in depth talking about God's timing and seeing how God has fulfilled his plan in his time. Verses 3 and 4, what we see is that Abraham obeys what God told him to do. God had told Abraham, said, you're going to name the child Isaac. Well, Abraham obeys. He does what God said. Last week we saw that God had instituted the symbolic act of circumcision as a sign of the covenant of a set-apart people. Well, Abraham obeys and does, and, and Isaac is circumcised as an, when he's eight days old. Abraham is obeying what God has shown him to obey. One commentary I read said this. It says, the naming of the child, Isaac, and his circumcision were two prompt and definite proofs of Abraham's thorough trust in God. It's so important to see that. Abraham was trusting God with what was right in front of him, what God had called him to do, taking steps of obedience. They seem small, but he was saying, okay, God, I still don't see all of it, but I'm trusting what you are doing, what you've called me to do. So Abraham obeys God by doing both of these things. His obedience highlights his faith 
and trust in God. We see that in verses 3 and 4. And then finally, in verses 6 and 7, it says, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Okay, what is this laughter thing, right? We saw this last week when the Lord appeared to Abraham and Sarah and said, hey, you're going to have a son. Abraham laughs. Sarah laughs. They're like, no way, not going to happen. Like they're just, it's this like mocking laugh. They have this, it's a laugh of doubt and distrust. But now they have a son named Isaac, and the name Isaac means laughter. And I love this because his name was a constant reminder that God did what they thought was impossible. Right? If you're Isaac and you're running around as a kid and your parents, you know, like, every time they called him, every time he got in trouble, Isaac, every time he had to clean his room, take a bath, whatever it was, every time they used his name, they were reminded of God's faithfulness and miraculous work. Right? Many of us, like Westerners, our name like, might have a family meaning, but it doesn't carry that weight. But there are many cultures where names carry that weight amount of weight. And every time they use Isaac's name, they are reminded what we thought was impossible, God did. And Sarah says, God has made laughter for me. What is she saying? He has turned my waiting, my doubt, my fear, my longing into laughter and joy. She is rejoicing in what God has done. And she says, and everyone who hears will laugh over me. Right? Think about this. Imagine this. Everyone they knew, everyone they meet will see little Isaac and stand amazed, chuckling to themselves and shaking their head and saying, who would have thought? Abraham's 100 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. Who would have thought that they would have had a child? They've been waiting for a long time and they would have just shaken their heads and said, man, that's amazing. Right? Isaac in the fulfillment of this promise, is a picture of God's faithfulness. We see it again in verse 7, where Sarah says, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This phrase shows us the way that people around them were going to see that God was faithful. She says, Who would have said, and yet? And we can think about that in our own lives when people observe us and they say, who would have said that God would be faithful in that situation, and yet God was faithful? Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the faith chapter, if you're familiar with that. But verses 11 and 12, I'm going to read, they summarize this passage well. And here's what it says. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, it's quite a description of Abraham, right? From one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And it reiterates, this was impossible. It says Abraham was as good as dead, right? He was old. He, he, did not, he was not going to be able to have children, and yet God did what he promised. And no one, including Abraham and Sarah, thought this was possible, and yet God has done it. God has enabled them to have a son. We can trust God to fulfill his promises in his timing for his glory. All right, we're going to break this down and make it 
hopefully practical for our lives. And really, this is not rocket science this morning. I'm just going to take our main idea and break it into three parts. So the first one, we can trust God to fulfill his promises. God is able to fulfill his plans. We're going to look at two ways that he does that. First, his grand redemptive plan. And then secondly, on a more personal level in our lives. So first, God fulfills his redemptive plan. This passage shows us the sovereignty and power of God. That he is strong enough and able, capable to accomplish his purposes. Right? Only a sovereign being is able to do this without fail. Unlike us... Like, we can keep our promises to a point, but at some point we are incapable of doing everything that we've promised, right? Often, I cannot keep everything I promise to my kids. I attempt to, right? I, I try to, but there are times when either I'm just too tired or time runs out or whatever it is, right? I'm incapable of keeping all of my promises, and anything else that we put our hope in is incapable of keeping its promise to us, right? We will all fail in keeping our promises at some point because we are not God. We are not sovereign and fully capable. And anything that we depend on will fail us at some point because it is not God, right? We put our hope in our job, in our career. It is not able to fulfill its promise to us. It will leave us empty. We put our hope in a friend or a relationship or our children or a marriage or whatever it is. It will not be able to fulfill its promise to us. It's a good thing, but it is not God, and it is not able to fulfill that promise. And yet God, in his sovereignty, is able to fulfill his promise promise. And we look at Isaac and we see how God is working his redemptive plan. I've already <clears throat> talked about this. That through this child of promise comes another child of promise. Thousands of years later, we see Jesus. In the new, when we come to the New Testament, Jesus is part of this family line. He is part of this promised child that God said, I will make you into a great nation. And through you, all nations will be blessed. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that, that through Jesus, all nations can be blessed, can find hope, can find forgiveness. And through Jesus, all people can be, as the words of the New Testament say, can be grafted in to the covenant and promise by faith, right? God has given Abraham a covenant. He said, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. You're going to be set apart, and through you, I'm going to do great things. Well, unless we are Jewish by birth, we're not a part of that. But through the grace of God, we are a part of that through the work of Jesus, through the cross, right? Through the family of Abraham, it was God's plan to restore all things back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. What's happening in Genesis 1 and 2? God creates everything, and everything is perfect and as God intended. And so God is going to work through this family to bring about Jesus that all things can return to what God intended and to bless all the families of the earth. Maybe if you grew up in church, like I did, we sang a song called Father Abraham. Anybody sing that song? Father Abraham, many sons, I'm one of them, so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. Use all your arms and legs until it's just crazy and you've lost the point. That song is quite theologically accurate, if you didn't know, right? Let's read this. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9, it says this, Know then that it is those of faith 
who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Right? Christianity is not an ethnic-based religion. Right? Because if it was, most of us don't belong. We're out. Right? We can't be in. And yet, the scripture in Gen in Gen uh, Galatians, it uses the term Gentile, and that simply meant anyone who was not Hebrew, anyone who was not Jewish. Right? And again, I'm guessing that's most of us. It is through Christ and Christ alone that we are invited into the promise that God gave to Abraham. And that is really good news. That those who put their faith in Jesus get to say, I don't deserve it, but I have the blessing, the covenant of God. What he promised to Abraham, he's promising to us through the work of Jesus. In the same way that God was faithful to send Isaac, God was faithful to send Jesus, fulfilling what he had spoken, fulfilling the prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. God is able to accomplish his purposes. And this passage, like I've already said, shows us this major plot point in God fulfilling his redemptive plan for a Savior. So this is a really important thing in the whole story of Scripture, that God keeps his promises. On a more personal level, God keeps his promises. You can trust God. He is faithful. And I know that sounds like a nice churchy little phrase, but there is something so deep in our hearts that we've got to, to, to grab onto there to say, I can trust God. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. And my hope is that you are encouraged by this. Maybe you're waiting on God right now. Maybe you are trusting him to provide for you or to guide you. Maybe you feel stuck and you're waiting for an answer. Take heart. God knows exactly what's going on. And he knows what you long for. And he knows how to provide for you. He is good. There's a song that Abby and I have been listening to recently. And one of the lines... And the song says, I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. And I love that. Because how do we depend on what we haven't seen yet? We say, God, I know that you've been faithful. I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't know what my life looks like next week, next month, next year. I don't know, God, but I know what you've done. And you've always been faithful to lead and guide and direct and provide. <clears throat> we can have confidence in God we can place our lives fully in his hands. And even when we are not sure what we are waiting for him to do, we can trust that he is at work. And so we surrender our lives daily to him. We can trust God, we can trust God to fulfill his promises. And the second part is this, in his timing. Second point, God's timing, in his timing. As I prepared this sermon this week, verse 2 really stood out to me where it says, at the time of which God had spoken, because this passage highlights God's timing. And this is so practical. Trusting God's timing in an area is an area that reveals what's going on in our hearts. Because if we're trusting and saying, okay, God, I don't know when, I don't know what, but I'm trusting and waiting for you, we're in a good place. But if we're saying, I don't know, and we start to panic, and we start to do things on our own, and we start to try to figure it all out, we're not, it reveals that there's a lack of trust 
of God in our hearts. So this is such an important thing. Now my guess is this was not the same as what Abraham's timing would have been, right? Or us for that matter, right? I think if it was up to Abraham back in Genesis 12, he would have been like, God, yeah, okay, cool. Promise, provide the child in like Genesis 12 or 13. But now we're almost 25 years later. And Abraham's probably going, God, what are you doing? Did you forget something like checking the calendar, the stars, you know, whatever? But God knows what he is doing. His timing is perfect. Something I heard my dad say a long time ago, and I think about it often. God is never early. He's never late. He is always on time. Anyone here always late? You can raise your hand. Anybody? Anybody like always early? Anybody always early? Okay. Anybody always on time? Right on time? Okay. You are the most spiritual if you're always on time, right? You're just like God. He's always on time. No, I'm joking. Right? God is never early. Never. You know, people are like, I don't want to raise my hand. You know I'm late, right? Um, <laughs> God is never early, never late. He is always on time. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. God's word says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. And that passage goes on, and it's reminding us of Christ coming again. But the picture, the truth there stands. God's timing doesn't always look like what we think. And sometimes we read that, and it's not very encouraging, because we're like, yes, one day feels like a thousand years, right? But God, what are you doing? But God is not slow. God is not behind. He has not forgotten to do what he has promised. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts, God is speaking. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is meant to be a reminder of God's power and greatness. It's meant to encourage us to say, okay. But we can also say, God, I don't know what's going on, but you do, and I trust you. And the ways and the things that God is doing and the timing in which God is working doesn't always make sense to us. In fact, it rarely makes sense to us, but his ways are higher than our ways, and we can trust in our God. There's a commentary uh, well-known writer named Matthew Henry from long ago, he said this. He says, God's promised mercies will certainly come at the time which he sets, and that is the best time. I love that. When God fulfills what he says, when God's timing is right, that is the best time. We cannot see God's timing, but he does. He is never early, never late. He's always on time. Okay, so we look at this, we say, okay, God's timing is perfect. What does that mean for us? Well, it means that we can trust him even when we can't see the outcome. It's not easy. That's a hard place to be. That's a place of our faith deepening and growing, but we can trust him even when we can't see the outcome. It also means that God is at work in us as we wait. So what is God doing in our waiting? God is shaping us. 
He is teaching us. He is molding us. He is refining us. And this can be a long and slow and sometimes painful process, but God is at work in us, teaching us to trust him, teaching us to live by faith. How else do we learn to live by faith but to learn to live by faith? And that's not supposed to be this deep, profound statement. It's not in my notes, right? We learn to live by faith by learning to live by faith. Think about that. It'll hit you later, right? And so we wait on the Lord. What does that mean to wait on the Lord? Is it like, okay, I just sit here and do nothing? No, it's an active waiting. Imagine a farmer who plants his fields. He does not then just go sit on his front porch and do nothing. He's waiting. He's dependent on God to send the rain to provide the sun, but he is actively waiting. He's working his fields. He's doing the things that he knows to do. The picture for us is as we wait on God, we depend, we wait, we trust on him, but we actively do the things that we know that we're to do. We read his word, we obey his word, we love the people around us, we serve people, we say, God, how can I love and care for those around me? How can I share the gospel? How can I make disciples? How can I be generous? How can I do these things that we already know? These are things that we do in our waiting while we're trusting God to do what he has promised. We actively wait. And when you don't know what else to do, when we don't know what else to do, we draw near to the Lord and we rest in him. We say, okay, God, I don't know, but I rest in you. God's timing is good, and he is working in us as we wait. Psalm 27, 14, one of my scripture that I go to often, it says this, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Let that sink in. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So we can trust God to fulfill his promises in his timing, and finally, for his glory. Pastors can tag for his glory onto anything and it works, right? So just stick with me, right? Our passage today shows us something about how God works. He always works for his glory to draw attention to his power and greatness. Verse six and seven, we already looked at these, but again, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would, have nursed, would nurse children yet? I have borne him a son in his old age. What we see is that God does the impossible to highlight his greatness and our weakness. People will laugh is what Sarah says, basically saying, can you believe this? And what does it do? It points to the greatness of God. Verse 7, we've already pointed this out. Who would have said, and yet... And such a good phrase in our lives when, to think about, okay, who would have said that, this per, that I would be following Jesus and serving him and not just living for myself? Who would have said that God would provide? Who would have said that this would happen and yet God has done it? And in this story here in Genesis 21, Abraham and Sarah could not take credit for Isaac. They couldn't call it a fluke or a coincidence. They were physically unable to have children. And so when Isaac comes along, it is an obvious work of God. And this is how God wants to work in our lives. In our own weakness, in our own insufficiency, then God is glorified. 
And this is painful for us because our pride has to die. Our self-reliance has to die. We have to come to the end of ourselves with nothing to do but trust. And this is the heart of the gospel message because the gospel is not, okay, I just need to be a little better. I need to improve myself a bit. No, the gospel is coming to the end of ourselves and recognizing the depth of our sin and the depth of our rebellion and separation against God. And when we recognize that, we are literally saying, I'm at the end of myself. I can't fix myself. I can't clean myself up. I can't improve myself. I've got nothing. And it's in that moment where we say, okay, God, you do what you do best which is what? He loves us. He rescues us. He makes us new. This is a picture of the gospel. When we give up our self-reliance that says, I can do it myself. Tomorrow, 4th of July for the Americans, a few of us in the room, right? The American mindset is pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Make it happen. I don't know if the Canadians have that as much or not. I don't know. We're from all over the place. Some, right? It's a mixture, right? But it's anti-gospel because it says, make it happen yourself. And yet the heart of the gospel is to say, I can't. I'm incapable. I'm incapable of fixing myself. I'm incapable of figuring all this out. But what God invites us to do is to say, I give up. And I trust you to do your work. Another commentary that I read said, God's favors to his covenant people are such as surpass their own and others' thoughts and expectations. Who could imagine that he should do so much for those that deserve so little? And that is the truth. Because of our sin, we deserve, we have no rights before God. We deserve nothing, and yet he has poured out his grace and his mercy on us. Who are we? Broken, sinful people who deserve the judgment of God, but in Christ. We are forgiven and accepted by God. And God shows his power and his glory through his work in us. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians in chapters 11 and 12 that we rejoice in our weaknesses, in our sufferings, because it is through our insufficiencies that God shows his greatness. That does not make any human sense to say, I rejoice. I thank God for my weaknesses. But when we understand the way God works, we can say, God, I thank you that I don't have it all together because now I can know what it means to walk with you, to depend on you, to trust you. And God, now I can see what you can do rather than what I can do. That's a good place to be. When God works in our church, when God works in our families, in our lives, in unexplainable ways, there is a purpose that people who don't know God would come to know him. He works for his glory. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, right? God does more than we can ever imagine. And verse 21 says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And Paul's praying this prayer, reminding us of the greatness and the power of God, that he does more than we could ever imagine for his glory. So think about your own life. Where do you feel weak? Where do you feel helpless? Where do you feel insufficient or not enough? 
Rejoice in these things. Surrender to Christ and allow him to show his power and glory through you, through your weakness, through your situation. We can trust God to fulfill his promises in his timing for his glory. This is such good news, that God fulfills his promises. Abraham and Sarah waited a long time, sometimes with faith, other times with fear, but God fulfilled his promise. He was faithful, he was patient, and so it is with you and I. The work of God doesn't depend on us, and that's good news, and yet he invites us to live by faith and to trust him and to know that he is at work. My hope this morning is that you are encouraged as you go away from here, encouraged to remember God has not forgotten you. His timing is perfect. You can rest in him. Oh, it's such good news to rest to cease striving, to know that he is at work and that he is working in you. In the book of Isaiah, Scripture uses the imagery of being as clay in the hands of the potter. Growing up, we always went to this theme park that was close to where we lived called Silver Dollar City. It's in Branson, Missouri. What a place, man. Silver Dollar City. And it was like this, like, it was, the whole setting was like, it was like the 1890s or whatever, and everybody dressed like that, and there's like roller coasters and all that kind of thing. Um, thankfully, the roller coasters were up to modern standards, not 1890s standards. But one of the things that always fascinated me was going to this little spot, this little shop, and watching people make pottery. It's a fascinating thing to watch, and it's shaped and formed, and it needs more water, and it needs less water, and it's shaped and formed and moved, and then they sometimes will do this thing, and they don't like it, and they just push it all back down and start over again, right? It's such a fascinating thing to watch pottery. You can go home today and watch pottery on YouTube. That'll be your whole afternoon, right? But it is such a good picture of the way that God works in us when we surrender, when we say, okay, God, I'm yours, and I'm trusting you to shape me to do what you need to do in me, what you want to do in me, in your timing and in your way for your glory. Because we can entrust ourselves to the potter. And Maybe you're sitting here today and you would say, I feel like I've messed all of this up. I have not waited on God. I have rushed ahead. I've tried to do things my own way. And the good news today is there is grace. There's a fresh start today to say, okay, I realize that I can't, but I can put my faith in Jesus. And the truth of the gospel is that we come to the end of ourselves and we recognize I am sinful and broken. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus and he welcomes you to come to him. He welcomes you to recognize and grasp the fact that you are broken and sinful and cannot fix yourself. But at the very same moment, he says, but I am enough because Jesus gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins, to rescue us out of our sins. And he rose again from the dead to conquer death. And he welcomes us to turn away from our sin and put our faith in him to find forgiveness and life. And it is only through faith as we, in the depths of our heart, come to a point where we say, okay, I give up. Jesus, I put my trust in you. That there is no other way to get to heaven. There is no other way to be in relationship with God but through Jesus. 
And he welcomes you into that today. And if that is you, we would love to talk with you about that. And for those who are followers of Jesus, the gospel reminds us something today. Rest in the finished work of Christ. And trust our lives to him and say, okay, my life is not about me improving and fixing and posturing and proving myself to God and others. My life is about giving up and resting and trusting that God is at work. And maybe today you need to surrender again in a fresh way to say, okay, God, I'm yours. We're going to continue in worship. If we can pray for you or with you, we would love to do that. This morning, we are, we can trust God to fulfill his promises in his timing for his glory. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.